Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to St Matthew's. It's great to see you all here. Uh, our first hymn today is inspired by the very last psalm, Psalm 150, which calls on people everywhere to use everything that they've got to praise our God. So would you like to stand as our singers lead us in singing, O praise ye the Lord. again to St Matthew's this morning, both for those of you who are here in the building and those of you who are joining us online. It's great to see you. And I'd like to say a special word of welcome if you're a guest with us. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here. And we're really glad that you've come to join us uh, today at St Matthew's. Well, this um, last Wednesday night, uh, the church building was full of people along six long tables at our celebration dinner. And the place was decked out brilliantly, the food was beautiful, but the real highlight was listening to stories of God's grace at work amongst us. Uh, in so many ways, it's, it's entirely consistent with what we've been hearing from Jesus about the good news of the coming of his kingdom. And uh, today we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and in just six verses as Jesus speaks about money and everything that it represents, he raises some really big questions that Bruce, our senior minister, will probe with us about where our hearts are, where our desires, our deep desires, where, where they're directed, where our attention is focused from day to day. Uh, the piercing of Jesus is so 
the teaching of Jesus is so piercing. It's, it's transformative as we submit ourselves to uh, the good news of the coming of his kingdom. Uh, we'll also be hearing this morning uh, from Scott, uh, just updating us on plans for next year and our support of mission partners and doing everything we can to make sure that they are really well supported in their work. And we're hearing about some new partners that we're adopting, which is really exciting. But before we go any further, let's, uh, let's turn our hearts and, and minds to God in prayer. We have two prayers that we're going to pray. Firstly, a prayer simply asking for God's help in this service today, but then coming before him in humble confession of our sins. Uh, mindful of what Jesus said when he was asked, what the greatest commandment is, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with everything that makes you who you are and to love your neighbour as yourself. So shall we turn to God in prayer? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And I'll give you a moment to prepare your heart before we come before God in a prayer of confession. Together, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbour as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbour and to live for your honour and glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And as we humbly pray a prayer like that, we can be completely confident because the Jesus who spoke the Sermon on the Mount was God himself come amongst us to go to the cross and die for us, to rise again, and he presently rules. And he is now our mediator, taking our prayers before the Father. We've got some news from church, which we'll hear as we watch the screen. G'day and welcome to Church News for another week. If you're new, just visiting, or today is your first time with us, I hope that someone has said hello to you already and that you felt welcomed. It really is great to have you here. As a church, we'd love to extend that welcome to you this week. And one of the ways we do that is with you filling out our online connection card. The easiest way to do that is by scanning one of these, by letting us know you are here. If there's anything we can do to help, and we'll get in contact with you this week. Now, the big thing to let you know about today is that our final onboard course for the year is running in two Mondays' time, the 28th of November. It runs for one night only here at church, up in the Darley Smith Building from 7.45. This is for anybody who is new around here. You know, perhaps you've been coming for a little while now and, and you'd like to take the next step connecting in with us. There'll be some food, a chance to meet some new people, hear about the, the ins and outs of St. Matt's, where we've come from, where we're going, and how you might be able to start contributing to that. You can, of course, ask 
Now, the big thing to let you know about today is that our final onboard course for the year is running in two Mondays time, the 28th of November. It runs for one night only here at church, up in the Darley Smith building from 7.45. This is for anybody who is new around here. You know, perhaps you've been coming for a little while now and, and you'd like to take the next step of connecting in with us. There'll be some food, chance to meet some new people, hear about the, the ins and outs of St. Matt's, where we've come from, where we're going, and how you might be able to start contributing to that. You can, of course, ask all of your questions and we'll do our best to, to answer them. Uh, and it really is a great opportunity for anyone who might be ready to give St. Matt's a go. Now, you can, of course, just turn up on the night. That is fine. But for catering purposes, it would also be helpful to know that you're coming. So you can let us know that you're keen by using the connection card, which I mentioned before, by chatting to one of the staff, or by giving the office a call or sending through an email. This really will be your last chance this year to get along to onboard, so I would love to see you there. That's it from me. Enjoy the rest of the service. Hey, uh, good morning everyone. My name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers here. Let's give a round of applause to the people on the back desk who are so cool and calm under pressure, you wouldn't even know. <laughs> uh, it's great to be together this morning, isn't it? And uh, I get to share with you our, the next instalment in our contributing member spots. And you remember last week we kind of um, transitioned from thinking about serving to thinking about giving to mission and ministry. And uh, we heard last week about kind of closing the gap between our budget and our actual offertories for this year. And you might remember that overall the gap is around about $96,000, which sounds like a lot, but actually if all of us play our part, it's not too bad. And um, we can make up that difference with a one-off donation. And if you'd like to do that, feel free. Um, but it's much better if those of our members who are able to increase their giving can do that. And even better, if you've joined St. Matthews, you call it your spiritual home, but you haven't yet started to give to start giving using the website, all the blue coloured cards that are printed up and are in these things here that you've got. Now listen, that's uh, enough about money from me. Way more exciting, I reckon, is what the money does, which is supports mission and ministry. So for the next few weeks, we're going to think about our mission partners and raising funds to support them. Now heading into 2023 with our mission partners, we've got some who have finished up for various reasons. These include um, Jack and Lil Harradine, who are finishing up at the Broken Hill Indigenous Church at the end of the year, and Jack is being unleashed right across South Australia. I hope they've had warning. And uh, the Marsden Park Church with um, Mark Collins is now up and running on its own. Uh, can we have the next slide, please? We've got a whole bunch of legendary um, mission partners who are staying on, uh, or rather we're staying with them, that is, and continuing to support them. We'll hear more about them next week. Uh, we have some who are planned for the future and we have some uh, new partners that are starting up which we're going to think about today. Now, as I said, all of you would have received a booklet that looks like that and there's a few things on the inside. So um, make sure you take that home uh, and uh, with special reference to some of our new partners. The first one is Naomi Island who's doing children's ministry in the Northern Territory. Most of us will know Naomi used to be the kids minister here. She now works for the Anglican Diocese of the Northern Territory sounds like a small patch, as the children's ministry officer. The admin side is all worked out by Bush Church Aid and she ministers predominantly amongst indigenous people. Now, if you know anything 
about Naomi, you'll know she's going to give it a red-hot go, and everyone is going to know that she's there. And can I say that is excellent, because I don't reckon the top end is any place for shrinking violets. Her role is to support and resource Anglican churches in the territory with a specific focus on Arnhem Land as they share the good news of Jesus with kids. That is a worthwhile cause if ever I've heard of one. The second one is uh, a chap called uh, Dr. Marty Ford and his wife Jenny, and they are doing theological training in Singapore. Marty is the principal of a newly established theological, the Evangelical Theological College of Asia, and his position as the head of that college is organised through CMS, and it, it really is new. It started training its first student in June 2017, and it has a singular purpose to prepare godly men and women for gospel ministry in Singapore, Southeast Asia, and beyond. It's non-denominational college. It's training students from all denominations who will go out to serve churches in Singapore and right across Asia. And I'm uh, particularly excited about this one, partly because we're talking about a strategic training institute that in can impact a very important part of the world where massive gospel growth is taking place. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? But I'm personally I'm excited about it because Marty's College sounds pretty similar to the place where I first started my training and it was just so formative and foundational for me. So I hope it's just as exciting for you. Um, the third one we're thinking about is a, uh, another church plant in the greater Sydney area called Box Hill. Marsden Park Church with Mark Collins has recently been declared a provisional parish. I don't really know what that means, but it means they're able to support themselves and they don't need us anymore. They're off to big school now, and that leaves us with an important opportunity to support another strategically positioned church plant in a part of Sydney where none of us want to live, let's be honest. That is true, isn't it? Even though it will be a place of massive gospel growth in the near future. So we're going to begin a new strategic church planting partnership with a church plant that is planned for Box Hill, and no, I haven't heard of that either. It's in the outer northwest uh, Sydney region, and I would just suggest look it up on Google Maps to make sure it actually exists. <laughs> There's also some future mission partners that we're exploring, a couple of other options that we'll hopefully will come online in the next 12 months. We'll update you as more details come to hand. When it comes to the moolah, the coin, next slide, thanks, Nadia. Oh, and the next one. There we go. There's a serious amount of money that we need, uh, 80 grand for existing partners, 30 grand for new partners, 30 grand for future partners, a total of $140,000 feels like a lot. Can I say, I can think of at least three reasons why it's worth giving towards our mission partners. Firstly, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. And if we're not going to go or we can't go, we should at least give to the plucky fo folks who will go. Secondly, it costs money, doesn't it, to spread the love, grace and truth of Jesus beyond manly. But that's the very heart of our mission here, our vision for our church at Manly. And thirdly, when you give money, you actually get to be a part of God's great work. And that is part of the blessed life that we've been thinking about in this Kingdom Calling series. Folks, I'm gonna um, commend you, uh, ask you to take those brochures home and to read them, to think about them, to pray through it, and to give to it. I'll leave that with you. Let's pray. Lord God, you have revealed yourself to us through creation, your word, and especially by your son. We know you love us 
you hear us and you have saved us. Forgive us, Father, when we have failed to bring you glory and turned our eyes and hearts away from you. Let's pray for the world, particularly for the floods in New South Wales. Heavenly Father, we have watched helplessly as communities across inland New South Wales are once again devastated by floods, with loss of life, loss of livestock, extensive damage to homes, and heavily impacted infrastructure. Lord, we ask for your mercy and pray that the rain would ease. We thank you for the support being given to the communities along the flooded river systems and pray for continued strength and help during cleanup and recovery. Father, please bring comfort to those who are grieving and suffering. May they know you are with them in their darkest times. Let's pray for St Matthew's Mission Partnerships. The new partners, Naomi Island, Bush Church Aid, Northern Territory, and Marty and Jenny Ford, Evangelical Theological College of Asia, Singapore. Lord, we thank you for the good news Jesus brings for people everywhere and for our privilege of serving with partners in mission around the world. As we prepare to engage in new partnerships with Naomi in the Northern Territory and the Fords in Singapore, please make us faithful in prayer and generous in giving. Please bless their work among Indigenous children and their leaders and among evangelists and pastors of the future, that many people will know the joy and delight of following Jesus. We pray now for our church. Lord, we thank you for the good things that you give us for the wonderful dinner on Wednesday night. Please forgive us for our addiction to money and our devotion to wealth and material things. Help us to truly believe that our lives don't consist in having more but living wholeheartedly for you. Lord, help us to abide in you and you in us so that our lives may overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Help us to remain aware of your presence and open to your voice each day. May your love, Lord, shape our lives. Make your word our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. For the sake of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to continue in prayer, collecting our prayers together as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Would you like to stand as we sing our offertory hymn for today, Take My Life and Let It Be.
Today's reading is again from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, and that's on page 971 of the Pew Bibles. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We do thank you for life and health and safety, just those small things that are so significant that we often overlook. But Father, we most of all thank you for calling us into your family and your kingdom through the Lord Jesus and for your word that instructs us. And Father, as we look at uh, this passage today, be with us all and give us hearts and minds and wills that want to hear and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... There was a young preacher and his church was struggling financially. And so he started to go into his church of a uh, Wednesday morning and praying about it. And as he was praying to God, he asked God, how long is 10 million years to you? And God replied, one second. Well, the next week he came back, the preacher asked God, God, how much is $10 million to you? And God replied, just one dollar. And then finally the next week, the preacher plucked up the courage and he said, God, can I just have one of your dollars? 
And God replied, sure thing. Just wait a second. Today, the reading for where we're up to in Sermon on the Mount is the whole topic of money. And uh, if you've been astute, you'll know we've actually jumped over one passage. We're going to come to that in a couple of weeks' time and bundle it together. We've had to kind of compromise at one point uh, to try and get it all fitted in before Christmas time. But today, I want to speak on money. Uh, And when ministers speak on money, I think it's easy for people to assume he just wants more money for the church. And given the finance report that was given last week, it would be easy to think that. We do need more money to cover our budget, as you heard. But I want to say, with heart on, hand on heart, that's not why I'm speaking on this today. I'm speaking on it today because it's part of Jesus' teaching to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And I need to hear what he has to say about money, just as everyone here does. We live in this very materialistic culture and we need to hear Jesus' words of wisdom and challenge so that we might be faithful disciples in how we handle and use the money that he has blessed us with. But before I start, I do want to say by way of acknowledgement that as I speak through today, one of the things that uh, has always struck me is there's a great diversity of people before me every weekend across all four congregations. And it's particularly the case when it comes to matters relating to money. As I speak to the four congregations, I'll be teaching people both older and younger. I'll be teaching people some earning north of half a million dollars and some, and there'll be others here today, you're on welfare. There's going to be students who are working part-time jobs. There'll be single mothers who are struggling to keep their families' heads above water. There'll be families with significant mortgages, some in houses that are paid off, others, they might even be sitting in the same row, are living in public housing. Some are doing it tough, while others, even though interest rates and inflation is rising, there's no sense of panic. And I think the temptation today is, for some of us, and maybe many of us, will be to think that actually this is a talk for someone else. They really need to hear that, not me. And I want to urge us, and I say us, me included, to resist that urge. Jesus' wisdom on money and giving is for all of us, regardless of the situation that we're in. And we all need to learn, as followers of Jesus, to relate to money and use our money well. Money in itself is not evil. It is very useful. It's the love of money that's the root of all evils. And so if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to get them open. Uh, We are at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Uh, We're going to come back to 1 to 18 in a couple of weeks' time. What we're going to see here is Jesus is going to challenge us with the contrast between the materialism of the world and life in the kingdom of God. And according to Jesus, there are only two possible ways of living. We can either trust in our money and love it, or we can have an ambition for God and his kingdom. And that's the things we're going to think through. And there's three questions that really pop up as I 
went through this to get me thinking, and I'm going to bring us uh, these three questions because this is what struck me. This is the first question that I think Jesus is asking us implicitly, where actually is your treasure? And I'll say it reflectively, where is my treasure? Let's have a look at what verse 19 says. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's a very clear command here. Don't store up treasure for yourself. It's actually in the present tense. Don't be storing it up. Stop it in that sense. It's very clear and simple. And what he's doing is challenging the materialism of his day, his day and as we read it, in our day. And the philosophy that he who dies with the most toys wins and most experiences wins, Jesus turns on its head by saying, actually, they're the ones that lose. Why? Because the toys break, they fade, they're stolen, and ultimately, they get taken away. And that's the reality of the things of this world that we hunger for, that we give our money to, the experiences we look forward to, they all eventually disappear and go, is what Jesus is saying. And the heart of the issue is actually our heart. And that's what he says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it does beg the question, what is it that we really treasure in life as a follower of the Lord Jesus? What or whom do we love the most? What is it that actually brings us the most joy? Well, the answer is, it's what we've set our hearts on. It's what we love. Fascinating bit of research was done by the McCrindle Research Group just recently. And it was looking at the material consumption in Australia. And this is what it found. The report said, just like we all need food to eat, we all need money to spend to provide for our daily needs. And that's just a, a reality, nothing wrong with that. But when emotion and comfort is attached to them, in other words, the spending of money, the getting of goods, eating and shopping becomes a habit that is relied on to feel good and combat feelings of stress and anxiety. Those who use food for this purpose are called comfort eaters. And those who use materialism are comfort consumers. Now, here's what the research showed. Three in five Australians, that's 60%, believe that the nation's consumption habits are having a negative impact on Australian society. 60% think we're spending too much money on stuff. But what's fascinating is it doesn't seem to be stopping us. Nearly half of the country, 48%, still feel the need to buy new things. The addictive high we get from buying something new keeps us going back for more. And more than four in five Australians, 82% report feeling good when they buy something new. It's called repel therapy for a reason. <laughs> and it's interesting, I was thinking about this, and one of these challenges I'm trying to give myself at the moment is just not to spend stuff on new things, at least till the end of the year. It's amazing how you just reach into your pocket and think, yeah, I'm gonna get that. Well, these days, stuff online that you can just click on and get. And against this backdrop of just 
consumption that is unbridled, we need to hear what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourself riches or treasures on earth, but store up for yourself riches or treasures in heaven. That's what we're called to do. What is the treasure of your heart? I want you to really think about that today. And I want you to think about the treasures in heaven that we can invest in. And I take it that the treasure in heaven is the things that last, the things that we can be doing here that will endure into eternity. And when you think about what that is, I think what it comes down to is people. Because that's what we see endures through to the new creation and into heaven. And it's our investment in the things of God that will endure through to the new creation. It's the reaching of people with the gospel. It's the growing of people in the gospel. It's the caring for people. It's the sending of others out into the mission field. It's investing in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Ask yourself the question, where is your treasure? Well, secondly, what is your vision? Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, why does Jesus move from talking about treasure to talking about sight? Well, I think the argument is like this. The description is factual, but it's also metaphorical. In the Bible, the eye is the equivalent of the heart. There's this strong connection. What we want, we see. That's why the psalmist prays, open my eyes so that I might see wonderful things in your words. Psalm 119. Life and what we live for is all a question of vision. And if we've got physical vision, we can see where we're going and what we're doing. And that's the problem of advertising. We see stuff and we want it. But if you've got a spiritual vision and a spiritual heart, then your life is filled with purpose and drive. Because we look to see what God is doing and we want to be a part of it. And Jesus challenges this, if your vision becomes clouded or darkened by the false gods of materialism or experience, then we lose sense of our values and our life is plunged into darkness is what Jesus is saying. And we cannot see where we're going. And that's the problem of materialism. It clouds us to the spiritual realities of the kingdom of heaven and of living for that and investing in that. As our eyes affect our whole body, so ambition, where we fix our eyes and our heart, will affect our whole life. And so here's the question for you, the second one, what is the vision for your life? What is it? It's a great question to ponder. The first being, what is your treasure? 
The second, what is the vision for your life? Is it to serve God and to extend his kingdom and to bring the love, truth and grace to bear in all those around you? Because this is what Jesus calls us to. Or is it to serve yourself and to build your own kingdom? Now, do you know how you can tell the answer to those questions? Jesus would say, look at where you spend your money. It's very simple. Where do you invest your finances? And I say that because that's what we see in the next section. But I want to tell you a wonderful story of a lady who's probably not very well known at all, Selena Hastings. She was the Countess of Huntingdon. Anyone heard of her? Two people, three people. She was an amazing investor in the kingdom of heaven. Selina was the Countess of Huntingdon and lived in 18th century England during the time of the Great Evangelical Awakening. She had, for numerous reasons, a sad life. She married young and then gave birth to seven children in the first 10 years of her marriage. I just think, good grief, life was different back then. Four of them died young. She was married 18 years when her husband had a dream and he said, I think the interpretation is that I'm going to die and he died two weeks later. And she was widowed in the 18th year of her marriage. Not to be put off by the hardships, one of the significant things that happened was as the Countess, she inherited all of the fortune of her husband. And rather than remarry, she set about investing in gospel work because God had captured her heart. And she was in the upper class of England. And she turned her energies into investing in gospel ministry. Many of you will probably have heard of the great English preacher, George Whitfield. He and Wesley were the two great revival preachers of the 18th century evangelical awakening. What you probably didn't know was that he was able to freely preach because of her financial sponsorship of him. She loved hearing him and wanted him to be free to go out. Even though he in many ways was rejected by the church hierarchy and she sponsored him. And then with the thousands upon thousands who were coming to Christ and needing to form fellowships because they weren't that welcome in the existing church, she thought, what I must do now is build churches. Now, how's this for an impressive resume? She paid for and built 64 churches across England. 64, as well as helping others open. She also thought what we need to do is we need to see young preachers trained up and sent out as well. And so she built a training college in Wales. It's a remarkable story. Widowed young. And so rather than storing up further riches on earth, she invested her wealth in gospel work in the country and I take it stored up riches in heaven. And the person who has written up her biography was asked, what was the driving passion and vision of her life? And they said this, 
It was a zeal for the salvation of her servants, her acquaintances, her family, and the nobility of which she was a part. She wanted to see them with her in heaven. And she gave her energy and her money to it. What is your treasure? And what is your vision? Well, thirdly, I want to ask the question, who is your master? What Jesus is saying is there are two treasures to choose between. There's the material world here, or there is the kingdom of heaven. There are two visions for where we fix our eyes, an earthly vision or a kingdom vision. And here in verse 24, there are two masters. It's either God or money. Let me read to you from verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I take it this last issue is the foundation of the first two issues in terms of our vision and our treasure. What's underneath it? It's our relationship with money. Let me put it that way. How we relate to and value and use our finances. And this is what Jesus is asking us. Who or what really controls your life? And when you think about what Jesus says here, I think sometimes people can confuse it because we'd like to think Jesus might be using the language of employer and think, well, actually, I can have two employers, can't I? Don't need to listen too closely to what Jesus is saying. But that's not the language that Jesus is using here. He uses the word for master that comes out of the slave trade. And no slave had two masters. There was single ownership and full-time servants. That was the essence of slavery. And Jesus' point is this, if you divide your allegiance between God and money, well, money's already won your heart. God can only be served with an entire and exclusive devotion. And this is simply because God is God. That's what the scriptures proclaim. I am God and there is no other, is what he says in Isaiah 42. And this is very important when it comes to money because a lot of Christians think that they can have divided loyalties. Lord, you can have my praise on Sunday. I love you. Lord, you can have my time. I'll serve you. Scripture, mini mats, morning tea, all great things. Lord, you can have my trust. I will follow Jesus. But please, Lord, don't take away my wallet. (laughs) Please don't do that. I mean, I earned the money, God. Come on. What right have you got to take that away? (laughs) My old boss used to say to me, you know, the last part of a person's life to be converted was his hip pocket where the wallet sat and if that is you listen to what Jesus is saying here today no one can serve two masters so for us don't think we can do it either you're going to hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money and when it's saying despise it what it's meaning is being controlled by it because in scripture 
there are good things that we can do with money. Don't be devoted to it. Don't be under its control, its grip. The authority, the control of the money monster that grabs our hearts and says, you need me more than anything else. And you see, the implication of this is either you're owned by money or you're owned by God. And if God owns us, then all the money we have is his. You get the logic? And whatever we have, it's worth acknowledging, is because of God's blessing on our lives and we're to use it for his glory. And so let me ask the question, where is your heart? Is it for this world or is it for the world to come? Where is your vision? Is it for yourself or for the kingdom of heaven? And importantly, who is actually in charge of your life? Is it God or is it money? Well, I want to finish by thinking about then how should we relate to money? And I want to give us three principles. Now, I could say a lot more on this, but I don't want to go on forever. I thought here's just three key principles that I try and work with personally in terms of my thinking about how I relate to money. Because, look, we've all got it. Some will have more than others. But all of us can be faithful and generous within our own means. And the first principle is stewardship. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And the principle is this, as we've just seen in the previous verse, we need to acknowledge that God owns our money, as we saw in verse 24. So whatever you have, whether it's just a little bit, or whether it's significant, what we need to say is it's yours, God. You own it, and I am the steward of it. You've blessed me with it, and I want to be a good steward with what you have blessed me with, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot. The money I have in my bank account, my investments, my income, it all belongs to God, not me. And I am here to steward it because I, I can't take it with me. I mean, that's the ridiculous thing that we hang on to it thinking we can have it forever. We can't. And so whatever the amount you have and whatever the circumstances you have, and I know that, as I said at the start, there's very different circumstances of the people in front of me today, including yourselves, Whatever I have, I'm going to acknowledge this is yours, God. And I'm going to steward it the way you want me to. Well, that's the principle of stewardship. The second is the principle of first fruits. And this is a very important one. I think when Christians first start to think about money and giving, it goes like this. How much do I need to cover the cost of living? There's the cost of housing. Very important costs. I put it right at the top. We need a roof to live under. And then as you live under a roof, whether it's rented or bought, there's bills to pay to keep that place running. There's food we've got to put on the table. There's children, if you've got them, that you've got to care for. There's entertainment that you think, okay, I want to go and do this. And then there's holidays and then there's savings. And then last of all, we think, how much have I got left? Okay. I can give this amount. And it's the last thing we think of after we've covered all of our bills 
and all of our leisure. And I want you to listen to what Proverbs says, because this is a principle that's all the way through the Scriptures. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. And what they were told to do was, in their giving, they gave first to the Lord, they gave back to God out of what He's blessed them with. And they did that first as a way of honouring Him in their lives and acknowledging that what they had was from Him. And it's the complete reverse. And the problem is, because we can become so materialistic and so ambitious, and one of the real issues here in the Northern Beaches, one of my staff is saying, is comparing ourselves to others and thinking, I need more because I've got to keep up, is that our bills get so high, we think, I can't possibly do that. But what God says, rearrange the whole way you think about doing your finances and give firstly to God. Because God says to us, the reason you've got money is because I've blessed you. So give back to me first and then to others and then to yourself. That's the order. And what that looks like practically is that we should give in the first place to what is the spiritual place that feeds us. And that is also a principle you see through Scripture. In the Old Testament, they supported the running of the temple and the Levites. In the New Testament, you see it's the support of the gospel ministry that feeds you spiritually. You give to that first which, if I can put it in simple terms, is the local church. And in numerous places in the New Testament, we're instructed to give first to the place that is our spiritual home. And then we start to think about mission spending. How can we support others? And you see numerous times through the New Testament the way Paul appeals for the individual churches to give to the mission of the gospel in the first century. So the principle of first fruits is we give first to God and then with what we have left, we look at what we can live on. But thirdly, the principle of generosity. Paul instructed Timothy to command his people in this way. This is in Ephesus. Command them to do good, great, to be rich in good deeds, excellent, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, to give generously. Now, as you go through the New Testament, uh, sorry, the Old Testament, it's very clear that the principle of giving and how much is tithing. It's tenthing. That's what the word tithe means. And it starts there in the book of Leviticus and it works its all the way through to Malachi, the very last book we've got in our English Bibles. And tenthing was the principle for those in the Old Testament. They would give 10% and then over and above that they would give. There were actually a number of tithes that they were commanded to give. When you get to the New Testament, there's no specific instruction to tithe. It's referred to a couple of times in the Gospels, but it's replaced by this principle of generosity. And so I say to people, it's my own personal practice, and I encourage people to do this, in terms of how much should we give, start at 10%. If I know the blessings of Christ and the certainty that comes through the gospel of assurance of sins forgiven and eternal life. And I have so much cl more clarity than what those in the Old Testament had. Surely generosity cannot be less than what they were expected to give. And so I say, start at 10% and work up. And Kath and I, is, that's what we do. We give first 10% here to St. Matthew's. And then we think, what are the other things we can give to? 
I'll be giving towards the uh, Mission Appeal. I want to do that. Kath said to me just on Monday, you need to put some money in for the uh, Cover the Gap. I said, okay, fair enough. <laughs> we support Anglicare, um, their Winter Appeal. We go to the dinner and we give some money. I like to support International Justice Mission. And I say that because you will have other things outside of here, great causes. Don't just give to St Matthews, give elsewhere as well. And then we think about what have we got left to live on and we work out what that costs and then we survive on that. But we give first to God because he's given it to us to steward and we seek to give generously. And that's what I would encourage you to do and to start at 10%. I want to finish with a true story of a friend of mine called Mark. Mark was a single dad. His wife had left him. He'd been an alcoholic, but he had recovered from that and had been straight and clean and dry for many years. He joined church and became a Christian and became a friend. But he came to see me and he said, look, I've got to confess something. I've got a gambling debt of $90,000 through the poker machines. And his life was at a very low ebb. He was a new Christian and he just said to me, I just need to get honest. I need to get help. He went and joined Gamblers Anonymous. And then he asked me about tithing because we'd spoken about it at church. And I remember thinking, if ever there was a person you would say to, don't tithe, <laughs> he was sitting right in front of me. <laughs> 90,000 in debt. And there was something deep inside me that said, nah, don't worry about that, Mark. <laughs> Just pay your bills. And I said to him, I know this sounds crazy, Mark, but if you want God to be protecting you and providing for you, you need to honour him in this area of your life as you need to in all areas of your life. And he said, right, done deal and he started tithing and I remember speaking to him three years after the event and I asked him how things were going and this is what he said to me he told me God had changed his life remarkably he was clean from gambling he was still tithing and God had blessed him enormously and for the first time in his life he was in a sound financial position. Why? Because he put God first in his life. And he put God to the test, as Malachi says, and God blessed him. Do you know what he ended up becoming? An ordained evangelical minister in the Uniting Church. Because God worked so powerfully in his life, he said, I want to go and share what I've got. At the age of 50, he went to Bible college. Three questions. What is your treasure? What is your vision? And who is your master? I encourage you, get your money under God's control. Have a heart for him and his kingdom and a vision for the growth of the gospel and give generously. 
Give to the church, give to mission, give to worthy causes. And let's be people who honour God with our wealth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for all the blessings you shower upon us. And whether we have a little or we have a lot, Lord, help us to acknowledge that you are the one who is in charge. It's your kingdom that will endure. And we leave our lives in your hands to look after us as we seek to be generous and honour you with our wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing our final hymn, I'll just check Nadia. Do we have the words of Psalm 103 there somewhere? Okay, would you mind putting them up? Psalm 103 is a psalm where we express our thankfulness to God and our praise to God. We call on our hearts to remember his great blessings to us, which I think is very fitting on a day when Jesus calls us to serve one master. This is a reminder as to why it makes so much sense to devote all that we have to the Lord. So will you join me as we read some excerpts from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his work everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And shall we stand and sing our final hymn for today, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise.
please take a seat. I just mentioned two weeks ahead of time that uh, Sunday week uh, we're, we're enjoying our annual Advent celebration at 8 o'clock church. There'll be a special program of music and readings as we prepare for the coming again of the Lord Jesus, which is so much of what our, um, Advent is about. And we'll be focusing especially on the wonder that one day we'll be part of a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth that the Lord Jesus will bring. So that's two weeks from today at eight o'clock, the normal time. And this morning we've been challenged uh, to consider where our hearts are, where our eyes, our minds, our vision focuses, who our master is, and uh, what a pleasure it is to serve the Lord Jesus with everything that we have. And we've heard about the, the challenge in this materialistic world, in every age it seems, uh, to make a master of money and all that it represents. Trusting in, in our wealth, in the wealth that we've got or the wealth that we like, rather than trusting in the God who made us, who loves us, and who rightly deserves our full attention, our full focus, serving him with everything that we've got. And I just remind you of um, the appeal that we're in the middle of now, uh, seeking to provide support for each of our mission partners as we move forward into next year. And I, I personally am really excited about the new partners that we're adopting. It would be wonderful to be working alongside uh, Naomi again and supporting that work amongst Indigenous children in the Northern Territory. And also to be supporting a work like that which has begun at the Evangelical College in Singapore uh, with Marty Ford as principal. Morning tea is going to be served across the courtyard in, the moment, uh, in a moment, but just before we, we leave, let me uh, read for you this encouragement from Jude uh, verses 24 and 25. Brothers and sisters, to whom, him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I'm so sorry, friends. I should have mentioned, uh, as I said I would last week, details for the funeral of Pat Irving. Uh, we prayed for her last week, a long-term member of St Matthew's. The funeral will be here at St Matthew's on Tuesday at 
I'm so sorry that I didn't mention that earlier.